Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Lord. I love saying that word. That's the nothing personal word of the day, hoard. Hoard means a lot of things. People who are hoarders, we watch TV shows about people who don't throw anything away, and then they look through, and they're hoarding items or goods or sometimes, like, there's this TV show called Hoarders where you can't even walk through someone's house. They have so much stuff. Some people say it's for sentimental reasons. Some people say it's some sort of disease. Whatever it is, hoarding is also a verb. It means keeping an excess of what you need. Well, the owner of the Chicago Cubs gave an interview. His name is Tom Ricketts. The Ricketts family owns the Cubs. He's the control person, Tom Ricketts, one of the brothers. He's the spokesman. He's the lead bro of the Cubs. He's had issues with his sis and one of his other bros and his pop. They've had some problems, political issues, in-family fighting, he gave an interview, why I don't know, and said, I just want to be very clear to everybody that baseball teams lose money. And it's not as though we hoard loads of cash. The losses that we will have because of COVID and coronavirus, and here's where it got good. The losses will be biblical. Biblical. A biblical size loss. How many millions in a Bible? I've been thinking about it. I stayed up all night. I really couldn't sleep because that's normal. I started thinking under what scenario would I ever have used in my 18 years when I was speaking to the public and giving interviews? When would I ever invoke in biblical proportions? The hurricane has devastated us. It's been biblical in nature. No, I didn't say that, but I could have. That home run was so important. It was biblical. No, I never did that. We are going to build a ballpark on time and on budget. It's going to be biblical. (laughs) No. Can't say I did that. I did speak in a lot of churches and synagogues trying to get votes, trying to get support of the people. I did never take the microphone and say, our losses are going to be biblical. And no, we don't hoard money. I didn't use the word hoard. I would use the word, we don't make money. And I would say it in a way that was always very careful because I would say, Why? Because I should finish that thought, right? Finish your thought, David. Because I wanted to always be honest, and I was. And while true, this is what I would say. The owner never took a distribution at the end of a year. That's true. Never did in my 18 years at the end of a year did we wire money back into the owner's checking account or savings account. Nope. 
all the wires came from the checking account into the team's operating account. Were there some years that there was money left over? A few, maybe three out of 18. And that money was used to pay down debt. I was picturing Tom Ricketts hoarding money. I was picturing, because I know Wrigley Field having won the pennant there in 2003, all the different nooks and crannies where you can hoard stuff at Wrigley Field, hot dog wrappers, old beer cans that are empty and smelly. There's always the smell of urine at Wrigley Field. I used to love that. Makes it feel used and worn. But where would he hoard the cash? Because when you think of hoarding, you don't think of, right, your, I'm not hoarding shares of stock. I'm not hoarding positions in a company or bonds, municipal bonds, not hoarding bonds. When you say I'm hoarding money, you view the mattress, right? I'm viewing like the way you see cash in stacks of like hundreds or thousands, like at the end of Midnight Run when Charles Grodin gives Robert De Niro a stack of thousands and Robert De Niro says, well, how much is in there? And Charles Grodin says, oh, in the neighborhood of $50,000. And Robert De Niro says, well, that's a very fine neighborhood. So I was picturing all the different neighborhoods around Wrigley where Tom Ricketts could be hoarding his cash. He could have been way more impactful and I wouldn't have had a word of the day if he had not mentioned the Bible, not mentioned hoarding, but instead had said the following. While you're not hearing much right now, and this is not the time to be discussing this, given what's going on in the world and the very important things and issues that we face as a country. With the unemployment rate the way it is, with COVID-19 wreaking havoc in the economy, with police brutality and all of the issues that surround that at the forefront, it is not the time for me to stand in front of you and say the negotiation with the players that we are currently having is critical because we simply as an industry cannot afford to give the players what they are asking. That would have been a reasonable thing. Don't speak in hyperbole. Don't use biblical references to either Old or New Testament. I can imagine which Testament he was referring to. Don't mention the fact that you do or do not hoard money. It's not about whether you do or don't. It's a matter of you're running your business. Here's the example I would give to people, and I have given to people. If you've got five locations of your business and four of them make money and one of them doesn't, is it your responsibility to take money from the four which make money and feed the one that doesn't make money, or do you shut that location down and live with four stores or four restaurants? Do you take from the winner to give to the loser? Owners are having this very discussion right now as they have multiple businesses, as they examine which businesses are making money or losing money, what their opportunities are to get back some of the revenue that's lost and the opportunity cost of that revenue in all of their businesses, in all of their investments. It is not their job responsibility, nor is it prudent to take money that could be made elsewhere and put it into an operation that loses money. In old times, when everything's going great, fans could argue that's your responsibility. You own a baseball team. It's a community asset. Your job is to take from the four winning businesses that you have and feed the losing business. I never bought it. I'm not buying it. And I'm not trying to sell it. I'm trying to explain it. 
And what I'm explaining is that people in that position don't often do it and shouldn't be asked to do it because it's not reasonable because you wouldn't do it if you were in their shoes, period, hard stop. What we can expect from owners and what we can expect from this negotiation with the players that's happening right now in baseball is a highway of honest communication and open dialogue and explanation. And right now, no one's doing it. So Tom Rickett stands up and says what he says. Ken Kendrick of the Arizona Diamondbacks stands up yesterday. He may have been sitting down when he said it. It was sort of a explanation of how I picture Ken Kendrick. I don't often see Ken Kendrick sitting down. He's this very imposing presence, the owner of the Dimex. He said, there is no circumstance under which we will ever play 114 games. If I'm the commissioner of baseball, I'm saying, Ken, shut up. We all know it. The players know it. The fans know it. We're trying to have a unified voice here. We're trying not to be distracting during this time of unbelievable peril and true importance and life and death. Zip it. Ricketts, you're going to say Bible and biblical? That's what Rob needs to do and Tony Clark. Because right now it is a, what's the right word for this, Coca? A panoply? Can I use panoply in this instance? It's a panoply of statements. We touched on it in yesterday's show. By the way, It is the end of May right now. Wait a minute. It is past the end of May. And it is June. Sorry. Rewind that, Coca. Anyway, the end of month mailbag bonus pod will be dropping this Saturday where I answer your questions. There were some good ones. Thank you for that. Follow on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Go to Apple, write a review, and ask a question. You may hear it on the mailbag pod. I also have the new YouTube channel, I said I because I'm taking the blame. Once it's named nothing personal and it's easy to search, then it will be we have a new YouTube channel. Now I'm saying I have a new YouTube channel because I can't find it. I subscribe to it, I think. And that's where the video is. So if you're watching, you found it. Thank you. So the panoply, Coca, did you look up panoply yet? I think I have it right. What do you, Coca? He said to me before the show, so I knew we were going to have a problem. I didn't think he'd actually listen to the show or produce it. He said during our pre-show conversation, he said he's very tired. So tired. Does that mean your fingers aren't working? Panoply. P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. I don't even know if that's how to spell it. Statements are being sent by every team. A lot of questions about some of these statements. I took offense to one of them. You know what? Let me say it in a more direct way. I felt as though, Coca, thank you. He just whispered, Coca, I've moved on. Yes, a panoply is a complete or impressive collection of things. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think the listeners are super happy because all of them paused the show. They looked up panoply. They saw what it meant. They came back to the show. Meanwhile, you're still coming up with the definition. Way to go, Coca. That is a fail of biblical proportions. (laughs) You knew I'd work that in, right? (laughs) So silly. Nah, it was just normal for you, Coca. Okay. Statements. Cleveland Indians released a statement. A bunch of teams have released them. They've all been of different shapes, sizes. They've all been for a purpose. They've all been practiced. 
They've all been wordsmithed. They've all been thought of, and then they've been released. The Indians released a statement, and I understand what they were doing. And I had a suggestion on Twitter, David P. Sampson. I said it. I said, you want to be a leader because everyone's saying they want to be a leader. I said it. I want to be a leader. I want to listen. I want to talk. I won't be silent. Tell me what to do. I'm doing my part by giving $1,000 away every day, but is there more? Tell me. I said, the Indians, why not change your name? Get rid of the name Indians because it's not just about racial inequality with blacks. It's racial inequality of people of color. We know that. Right now, the focus is on Black Lives Matter, as it should be. Other teams with statements saying, we're going to listen, we're going to form a committee, and we're going to get to the bottom of this and start effectuating change. Okay, I'm in. Tampa came out, the Tampa Bay Rays, and said, we're going to do one better than that. We're going to commit every year $100,000 to support causes in the fight against systemic racism. Bravo. Let me give you the facts of that. And this is being cynical, but I'm a consequentialist, so I'm very thankful what the Rays are doing. But I want to explain to the audience how this works. When we were negotiating a ballpark deal with the city and the county of Miami, and the county of Miami-Dade and the city of Miami, We were looking for public money to get a ballpark. And one of the things they required in the negotiation was that a certain amount of money would be given away through a foundation, the Marlins Foundation. And we would take some of that money that we would give away every year to different causes, and it would be given toward a specific area. In this case, it was the parks area to refurbish fields. And we agreed to that. Because that was a win-win for us. The win-win is that the commissioners who asked for this, they wanted money to be given back. We wanted to build ballparks and fields because we want young players to play and grow up to be fans, if not players. And they wanted a specific amount of money each year. And that was less than the amount of money that we had planned to do anyway and that we needed to do as a good community partner. Our reasons were not nefarious. We absolutely love the foundation. That's, it was something very close to my heart as president of that foundation. It was the greatest pleasure I had in baseball was what we did with our foundation. But by the way, if as part of that, it can benefit the business, of course, I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to apologize for it at all. All of these companies who exhibit social responsibility, who are spending money, giving money to charity, supporting foundations, as a consequentialist, it's great. But just know there's a business part of it too. The Tampa Rays committing $100,000 per year, I know for a fact they give away much more than $100,000 every single year through their foundation to charity. The owner, Stuart Sternberg, is a very charitable man. $100,000 is what nothing personal is doing, $1,000 a day. Do I think every team could do $1,000 a day all year? Yeah, but guess what? They already do. But in this case, the Rays are pointing it that this $100,000 of the greater amount that they give is going to go toward fighting against systemic racism. All credit to Tampa, but just know they were going to do it anyway. 
as well they should. And if this helps them get a ballpark in Tampa and helps increase the asset value of their team, that's okay too. Then we heard from Monty Harrison yesterday. Monty Harrison's a player you've never heard of. He's a player I've never heard of. He's a Miami Marlin. He's African-American. He was traded, uh, I believe, in the Yelich trade. The Marlins got Monty Harrison, along with Lewis Brinson and Jordan Yamamoto and one other player. I think it was a four for one. Monty Harrison has a chance to be a big leaguer. And he put out a statement yesterday. And his statement was simple. Where's MLB? Why haven't they said anything? Very powerful when you're an African-American player in a sport that has very few African-Americans. Well, today, MLB put out a statement. Is it a coincidence? No. Were they working on it before they heard from Monty Harrison? Yes. How it was done, though? And I wish that I were still in the game because I would have done it differently. Their statement offered condolences to the families of George Floyd. Arbery, Brianna Taylor, all the families lost loved ones. To be clear, and then they bolded, our game had zero tolerance for bold racism and racial injustice. And went on to a few other paragraphs. We will take the necessary time, effort, and collaboration to address symptoms of systemic racism. That's the second time we've heard that. Prejudice and injustice. But we'll be equally as focused on the root of the problem. Who's the statement from? There's a silhouette of the batter silhouette. I wanted Sharon Robinson to do a statement on behalf of MLB. Sharon Robinson is Jackie Robinson's widow who actually still works with MLB on social justice causes. I wanted this to be signed by African-American players. Wouldn't this have been an opportunity to do a statement with the union together? Tony Clark, as a black man, is the head of that union. How about getting... Derek Jeter, Mike Kill, Derek Jeter did his own statement. Kenny Williams, would it show that there aren't a lot of black executives or black managers where there's not a lot of diversity? It would. But baseball wants to own up to the issue. They want to be helpful. They don't want to be like the NFL, who was completely tone deaf in its statement. Why not have buy-in from your players and from your management members? and have it led by an icon in baseball, Sharon Robinson, and the work she's done since Jackie's passing. We've talked about nothing personal. I just think that sometimes baseball is afraid to think out of the box, as many teams are, because you want to be so careful. We talk about it all the time. I think about it every day. I talk about it with Coca every day. You can't say the wrong thing, because if you're misunderstood, it could be the end of your career. You can't send out a tweet without thinking about it before you press send because how will this be received? And if your give a crap meter is low enough, you won't pause too often. I pause from time to time, not as much as I probably should. And I think the teams need to take that pause and think, what can we do that's different? Take a chance here. MLB did the statement could have been greater. Well, Tampa's doing its $100,000. We're continuing with the ML Beer Challenge. And we're continuing, as we said, we have pivoted. We are now supporting organizations who will fight systemic racism. 
prejudice, injustice, all of the things that need to be fought and need to be fixed. We are doing our part as best we can. Today is day 80 of the beer challenge. I hit a new problem after my run this morning in between lightning bolts. I am now below a, a weight that is acceptable to me because I can't eat because of the beard. So I need to figure out what to do. I think I'm going to start something different. Beer challenge is going to go on. I don't know when it's stopping. Baseball better start playing soon. I think they will. But we're day 80. And the organization today is an organization that you're going to think, well, that sounds like a big organization. Will $1,000 matter? It's the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Its mission is pretty simple. They are, their mission is to secure political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights in order to eliminate discrimination based on race. They also work to ensure the health and well-being of all people, but the focus really is on equality, eliminating race-based discrimination. It is a huge organization. They do good work important work. I get myself thinking, but is it working? And then I was thinking about one of my best friends who has Parkinson's and he has supported the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's research to find a cure for Parkinson's. Michael J. Fox, when he was diagnosed, said, I hope this foundation is only around for a year and I expect it will only be around for a year or two because then we'll have a cure. Well, there wasn't a cure after two years or three years or five years or 10 years, but they still raise the money because they're still looking. The NAACP has been around and they have seen progress. Then they've seen backward steps, forward steps, and they have maintained the course because when you're doing something that's right and that's needed, you recognize that even if you can't finish the job, you take that baton and you pass it on to someone who will continue the fight and the NAACP has been that organization. It will continue. It is well worth it if you're willing to donate money. Please, NAACP, Day 80, ML Beard Challenge. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So you want to talk to Samson. So, so you want to talk to Samson is when you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson. Ask me a question. I may answer it. I may look at it. No, that's not true. I look at almost all of the DMs I get. I don't get to answer all of them. But at some point, I spend a little bit of time each day or during the course of a week or weekend where I pay attention to what people are saying because I'm interested. That's why my DMs are open. I really am. Someone asked a question. If you ask it in there, I'll put it on the show. Maybe. 
What do you think of SEC schools allowing football players to return for voluntary practice starting June 8th? Though several of those schools are not going to have on-campus classes over the summer. This person continued, I'm all for sports starting again if it's safe, but this seems to really be taking the student out of the term student athlete. Thank you for asking that question. I think about this all the time. Working for CBS Sports, college football matters a lot. NFL matters a lot, but we're focused on college. The NCAA tournament mattered a lot. Remember when I got in trouble for telling you that the NCAA tournament was going to be canceled? And then it was? Maybe I just told Coca that. Maybe Coca and I both got in trouble for saying it. Now, college football is coming. And CBS has been very clear. If there's no football in the fall, it's a problem. And I get it. College football pays for a lot of things within a university. CBS pays a lot of money to college football and to the NFL to show those games as content and then ancillary content. There is tremendous pressure on schools to start their football seasons. But is it responsible? Well, the SEC, as you know, is like a pro conference with everything except for the fact that the players don't get paid, which I'm fine with because they're putting themselves in a position to get paid when they become professionals. And if they don't, they had one hell of a college experience. My experience was watching games on TV. These athletes get to actually play in the games. I would have been Rudy part de at best. How do you, when you're running a school, allow for your football players to come back to campus when you're not allowing other students? My answer is very simple to your question, and here's what I think. It's completely unacceptable. You cannot bring back students to participate in athletics when there is no education being offered. It is exposing them to the very greed that we all suffer from. And it is showing them that their health and their safety is secondary to the financial health of the university that comes from athletics. For a university to stand up and be honest and say, we need football, the result of not having football is the following sports and classes will be canceled. The following benefits that students had or faculty had or adjunct professors had Cuts need to be made. We are not going to go into the endowment to fund this. The endowment is for future generations. This is not to be used to make up for a lost season of college football. But instead, what the universities are doing is saying, you know what? It's 30 guys. We'll keep them six feet apart. We won't really have them shower together or live together. And it's all going to be fine. And you know what? It may be all fine. With all the protesting going on, if I'm an owner of a team right now, I've got great concerns because I want my players protesting and demonstrating. I want my players out there recognizing that this is a critical moment in our history and it's time to stand up. But I'm petrified that those players are going to get COVID-19. There was already a football player who got COVID-19 tested positive and he participated in a demonstration. I wouldn't tell my players not to do it. But you're damn right I'm worried about it. That's for a demonstration for something that's going on that will be much more meaningful than a one fall season of college football or a delay of four weeks or six weeks or a shortening of the season. 
Let's get our priorities straight and keep our eye on the ball here. We're bringing students back before other students simply because they play football. What about the people who work in laboratories or libraries? What about the people who paid tuition and want the experience of being on a college campus and not just having a virtual online experience? What if those football players aren't comfortable? They're not going to be honest with you. They're going to feel such pressure out of the SEC, out of those schools to report for those workouts. Voluntary, voluntary. You know how many voluntary workouts we had in 18 years? I can count them on one hand. I'm holding up my fist. They don't exist. Zero. If we're having a workout, it's your job. Get to the workout. Oh, no, it's voluntary. Don't worry. We're not judging. Yes, we are. Of course, we're judging. I don't think it's great what the SEC is doing. And I don't think you should either. Well, the NBA, on the other hand, is saying we've got a plan and we're going to get ready to vote on it. And it's been leaked all over. I just want to give some clarity into it and tell you why I find it to be interesting. And I have skin in the game because I have a wait to see that's going to be absolutely destroyed when the NBA comes back and they all are in Disney World. There's going to be pressure as a former MLB executive to say, why can't MLB get its act together when MLS just solves their labor strife, when the NBA is about to vote and solve their problems and there'll be a path for return to play. The NBA is going to invite 22 teams to Orlando. By the way, MLS, Major League Soccer, is also going to invite all of their teams. And when I say 22 NBA teams and all of the MLS teams, I'm telling you that I don't know the number of MLS teams. That's code when I don't give you something specific. Anytime in any sort of segment when I'm not super specific, that's just me covering for the fact that I don't know. And that's when Coca is supposed to seamlessly feed me the number. So MLS... They had a deadline of noon or else the players were going to be locked out and magically they came to an agreement, which is exactly what I said happens. Deadlines are required in order for agreements to be had. Tough negotiations happen. Deadlines happen. Agreements are made. The NBA is going to invite 22 teams to Orlando. But wait a minute. There's 30 NBA teams. How do I know that? Because we gave away 30 straight days of $1,000 to NBA cities and then we were only on day 60 Actually, it was day 62 because we put the NFL.com in when they did the draft, and I think we did one other charity. So I think it was day 62, if you're going back to old episodes, it was day 62 of the beer challenge. So the NBA said the reason why we're doing 22 teams is we're only bringing in teams who have a chance at the playoffs. This is what we talked about with Damian Lillard of the Trailblazers when he said, I'm only coming back if we can play. And the Golden State Warriors said, What are we coming back for? We're not coming back. We're 15 and 50. We're done. And it's not like we're making money by playing in Golden State. You're going to schlep us all the way to Orlando? For what? So this made perfect sense. The season was over for eight of their teams. Amazing. After 55 or 65 games, that 22 teams had a shot at the playoffs still out of 30. Amazing. By the way, the New York Knicks, in breaking news, the New York Knicks will not be going to Disney World. So is it split between Western and Eastern Conference? No. 13 Western Conference teams are being invited to Orlando. That's the eight current playoff teams plus five more. 
Nine Eastern Conference teams is the eight Eastern Conference current playoff teams when play was suspended, plus the Wizards, who were the ninth seed. The Western Conference teams were close. You've got chasing the Memphis Grizzlies team like the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs trying to keep their unbelievable playoff streak alive, Phoenix Suns, New Orleans Pelicans. Of course, you got Zion Williamson with a chance to get the Pelicans into the playoffs. But how are they going to do it? They're only playing eight regular season games. So if you're four games behind with eight to go, how are you ever going to catch the number eight seed? And the answer is you won't. But if you are within four games of the number eight seed after the NBA plays eight more regular season games, if you're within four games of the playoffs, you get to play in a play-in tournament. Not sure how that's going to look. Not sure how fair that is to the number eight seed currently, the Memphis Grizzlies, because there will be teams. I would rather them have expanded the playoffs then have this sort of eight-game regular season and then a play-in tournament to see who the 16 playoff teams will be, that does not make sense to me. Play-in for the eighth seed. Come on, NBA, you could have done better. Make a 22-game playoff tournament and do exhibition games or make the games prior to the playoff starting count by having reseeding, except excuse the top four teams who are going to have home court advantage. A lot of stuff all over the internet today and on Twitter. I took the day off from Twitter yesterday as part of Blackout Tuesday. I didn't post anything. I think I liked one tweet, but I didn't really look at Twitter. Paid to try to think of myself and how to be better and actions I can take and things I can do and ways I can better communicate. And I have no idea why I just said that, guys. I literally have no idea why I said that I didn't tweet yesterday. Oh, because on Twitter today. Wow. Amazing that I was able to circle back to this. So on Twitter, there's a lot of back and forth about what what to do with teams who had this great advantage, like the Lakers and the Bucks, who were the number one seed. And home court advantage is so big because when you go to the Staples Center, it's hard to win. When you go to Fi Serve Place where the Bucks play, I think I got that wrong. Wherever the Milwaukee Bucks play, it's certainly not the Mecca. It's not the Bradley Center. It's the new building that I thought was called the Fiserv Forum, but I'm probably wrong. And where Giannis and his team are absolutely tremendous at home, and they now have no way to play at home. So now they're back sort of with the batch in theory. You know those teams that have great home records and terrible road records? Our rule in baseball was that you have to play 500 on the road and then play 600 to 650 baseball at home and you're a playoff team. In basketball, it's the same thing, but there are teams that are below 500 on the road and still playoff teams. So how do you give an advantage to teams who are going to be in Orlando and not playing at home? Should you give an advantage to the Bucks? How would that look? I've been thinking about that and we'll talk about more about that on Nothing Personal. Just a lot of issues surround returning to play. NBA is making progress. MLS made progress. NHL, MLB. Yes, they're making progress too. Don't you worry. So I've still been watching movies and shows, and I want to spend a bit of time on something I finished watching the other day, and I want to talk about it. It's called Mrs. America. It's on something called Hulu. You get a month free, and then it's a subscription service. I talked about Hulu because I watched Dave, and I reviewed that series and loved it. And I saw Mrs. America was suggested to me. 
It's starring Kate Blanchett. It's got um, Rose Byrne from Bridesmaids. It's got Margot Martindale, who is an actress who I absolutely adore. Uh, Tracy Ullman, who sings the song, is a singer and an actress. And Mrs. America is about the Equal Rights Amendment and the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It's about a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who I had never heard of. She was a conservative right-wing woman, Republican, and she was against the Equal Rights Amendment. And she devoted her life, basically, to fighting passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. Imagine a woman was fighting to not have an Equal Rights Amendment, which every feminist was fighting for. Gloria Steinem, the most famous feminist, played by Rose Byrne. This is a nine-part series which taught me so much about what was going on in the 70s and how it can be that women were actually fighting with each other over this amendment. This was way before the Me Too movement, but that sort of discrimination existed back then, sexism. It got me thinking the role of women in sports and why it is that there are not more women in sports and why it is when there are, they're not celebrated enough and what women have to go through that I did not. Just another example of my white privilege and of my male privilege. Male privilege means that people assume by definition that I'm better at things than a woman without any basis whatsoever. Male privilege is when someone examining the work of a man or a woman doesn't look at the work, but looks at the sex of the person performing the work. Sexism in sports is the belief that having women in the clubhouse can't work or women on the bench, women in the training room, women in the front office. What do they know about sports? I've worked with women every single year of my career in sports, women who were smarter than I, worked harder than I, more polished than I, more able than I in every way, who also had many other things to balance that I never had. I was never able to balance work and family, but I was a male. I had an excuse, not, of course, in my children's minds, but my excuse was, hey, I got work to do. I'm the provider. Uh, I'm pounding my chest. Look at me, male provider. That's all I have to do. Yet we ask of women who are providing to also run the house, which by the way is like running a business in and of itself. Those of you who have kids know that. Part of the Stop the ERA movement, which was started really by Phyllis Schlafly or brought to great prominence, is that they wanted understanding that being a housewife and was a noble profession in and of itself and should be recognized as a profession and their role is to be a housewife. Whereas feminists say, housewife, don't be ridiculous. I'm going to be in the working world. I'm not cooking you dinner. I'm not cleaning your house. You clean your house. You cook us dinner. Remember the movie with Michael Keaton, the guy who played Batman, Michael Keaton? It was called Mr. Mom. Remember? How interesting and crazy. They made a movie that a man stays home and takes care of the kids. 
for nine hours, I learned that there are two sides to an issue that became very political and that the fight is not over to this day. The ERA, by the way, never passed. It had to pass through 38 states. Any constitutional amendment needs to be approved by 38 state legislatures. The Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution only got its 38th state this year in 2020. The time had already passed. The time had told. T-O-L-L-E-D, not T-O-L-D. Why do I ask you to watch this and to think about the role of women in sports and the role of women in the workplace and the role of women in your life and to understand that what they're asking for is not a bigger and better opportunity. They're asking for the same opportunity. There's women's soccer team, the national team suing to get equal pay. Actresses suing to get paid the same as actors. And my position on it is unpopular, but it's accurate. I'm more than happy to pay a woman more than I pay a man if that woman does more for me from a business standpoint than a man and adds to a bottom line. I don't see sex just like I don't see color. What I see is dollars because that's my job running a business. I've never understood prejudice. I've never understood people who are sexist. I'm not hiring you because you're a woman. I'm not hiring you because you're black. I don't get it. I literally intellectually cannot understand it. Why should women be subjected to the ill behavior of men? It's because men are so insecure about losing the one area where they feel powerful, which is the workplace. They feel as though it's their domain. The master of my domain. By the way, for those of you not paying attention, that's a Seinfeld reference that was super funny. I'm laughing inside. Coke, on the other hand, has no idea what I'm talking about. He's going to look it up because I'm not going to explain it on the show, except we weren't necessarily talking about the workplace. The insecurity that men feel is so significant and the way they are so demeaning. I've seen it. I've been in meetings where men are demeaning to women and I don't understand it. Why do you feel that that is necessary to comment on the way someone looks? I'm commenting on what they say. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're tall, short, fat, or thin. I care that you're healthy enough to have a smart opinion that makes the business I'm due to run and told to run, make it better. But women have had to speak up in a way that I never had to as a male because I've never been the subject of harassment. While sexual harassment can work, there was a movie when Jennifer Aniston sexually harassed uh, the guy from uh, uh, another show who is Olivia Wilde's husband, whose name I can't recall at the moment, and had another funny guy in it. And I can't remember the name of the movie, but the Horrible Bosses, it was Horrible Bosses, where Jennifer Aniston was a dentist, maybe, and she was sexually harassing. So harassment does go both ways, but mostly it is males harassing females. And what it is, Jason uh, Sudeikis, I think, Coca got it, Jason Sudeikis, who is Mary Olivia Wilde, who is a brilliant actor, by the way, and Olivia Wilde's a brilliant actor as well, and director. I think we reviewed one of the movies she directed. In any case, 
Why is it that women have to feel as though that they are being put under a microscope or that they have to pay attention to how they look and they have to look at the, at men leering at them or taking advantage of them physically because they have no way of getting it anywhere else and they've got to feel that power by having women who work for them do what they want to them physically or hear dirty or sexual jokes that really aren't necessary because they're demeaning. What is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is only to make these men feel bigger because they're so damn tiny. But women have been fighting this injustice for decades and sports is the ultimate locker room. It's the ultimate. It's disgusting and I participated in it. I didn't participate in sexual harassment. I did participate in an environment in a locker room and in a clubhouse, which was very testosterone, testosterone. I think the word is testosterone. It was very testosterone oriented. I could have changed it, but I wanted to do my part in a different way. And that was making sure that we had a company where women had the same opportunity to advance as men, where minorities had the same opportunity to advance as white men and women, where people thought that the reason they were going to get fired and harassed was never going to be about sex or color. It was going to be about quality of product and work product, that means. And I stand by it. If I made anyone uncomfortable during my 18 years, for any other reason than you weren't being good at your job, then I apologize because that was not my intention. My intention was to make you realize you were not good at your job. And am I incentivized to have people under me who are good at their job? Yes. Am I incentivized to have people around me who are good at their job? Yes, because that makes me better at my job. That's why I tell people when you're interviewing, tell the person who you're interviewing with how you will help him or her make more money and do better at his or her job. It's the number one thing you say at an interview. At the end of the day, when it comes to sexual harassment, discrimination based on race, color, sex, how about this? How about everybody who runs a business says, I have an idea. I'm going to make this hiring and this decision based on business. Nothing personal. 